0: So, I have my teen memories uh, start pretty much with the Gulf War. Um, I remember uh, George Sr. talking a lot about tanks and deserts and all those sorts of things. And um, what was that guy's name? Stormin Norman? Um, Him talking about what we were going to do next. And I remember... One of the things that you heard over and over, in the news especially, was that they would call Saddam Hussein Saddam. Saddam or Saddam or something like that. They would mispronounce his name. And I guess the jury's still out on this on to whether or not that was intentional and if it was a bit of uh, saber-rattling, that they called him that because his name Saddam means scent of God or something blasphemous, basically. Um, and he called him Saddam because Saddam was a an... An Arabic word for a shoeshine boy. So the question is, was that intentional? And um, it may have been. I wouldn't be too surprised. You know, you take a Texan like George Bush and you put somebody in front of him who was threatening his country and it wouldn't be too surprising if he decided on a different name for the guy. (laughs) So anyway, um, that brings us to our verse for today. But first of all, welcome to the strolling studio of no fixed address. Uh, This is geocaching scripture. Uh, I'm a strolling studio because I'm hiding from my children who pretty much own my house. They're in the backyard right now, so I'm taking as much time as I can to tell you about a couple of things. Uh, Geocaching is this sort of geek hobby of finding these little treasures um, that you find on a walk or, or a place that may be familiar. Uh, my family and I have been doing it a lot lately, and we've found a few um, in various places stuck to SOP signs and uh, underneath gravestones and all sorts of other interesting places, and a geocache is just sort of a fun thing to do. You get the coordinates off your app, and you run around with your kids until you find it, and I thought that was a perfect metaphor for my experience of Scripture as I get older, as I study it more, and get to know it better that I find these little things, these treasures, geocaches, I call them, of, of history and language and theology that help me to see the dimension in God's Word. that has been there the whole time and is sometimes hard to see. And at geocaching, we're all about tiny treasures and the big truth. Let's take a high dive into a shot glass. Let's figure out, in the smallest area we can, the depth that is there. And I thought this verse was so strange and so fun that I had to do it. So, Luke 13, verses 31 through 32. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. So, this is an interesting uh, occasion where the the Pharisees are actually warning Jesus. Um, and we don't have to think, I don't think we have to interpret that always negatively. Um, I think we can say, you know, hey, they they don't want to see any more bloodshed. Um, Who knows? Who knows? I'm sure their motives were mixed, as all of ours are. Um, But they're warning Jesus that Herod is coming for him, and that's Herod Antipas. Uh, Herod Antipas was one of the sons of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the Herod who was in power when Jesus was born. Um, He was a, a, by any measure, an evil person who did a lot of evil things, Um, and arranged for all the babies to be killed because he was trying to find Jesus and that kind of thing. So that's the Herod we know from um, the Christmas story and other things like that. He had four sons, I believe, whose names were all Herod, and they all took over part of the kingdom. Um, and Herod Antipas was one of them, and he's the one that that was there during Jesus' ministry um, and who Jesus interacted with. You have Herod Agrippa also, who I believe Paul interacted with in Acts. Um, so Herod is a title, it's a bit like the Dread Pirate Roberts, you know, it kind of went to different people, um, but I think it's interesting here, Jesus is, go and tell that fox, so go and tell that fox, uh, the word fox, in our understanding, in, in Western English, foxes come to mean crafty, or cunning, maybe a little dangerous, um, but in the t- that time, fox was more like weasel, Uh, Fox meant morally and intelligently deficient and weak. And yes, cunning and crafty because he was more of a con artist who was trying to win at something by taking the shortest possible route. Um, So I would think more like our word weasel that we use to describe somebody like that. Jesus also uses the, uh, the female version of Fox which is even more insulting. So um, in that sense meant like a weak weasel. That was like, go and tell that weak weasel what I say here. Um, this is very interesting that um, Jesus would use these words. First of all, like why would Jesus talk this way about a human being? This is Jesus, right? right? This is God incarnate who has come to us and show us how to be gentle and loving. Why would he refer to a person this way? And I think part of the, uh, the issue there is that Jesus is talking to someone who is trying to set up his own kingdom on earth. Jesus is here to undercut that kingdom. He is a wicked ruler who is being evil and who is resulting in a lot of bloodshed. He's doing a lot of things that make this the correct description of who he is. Not in the sense of an insult. You know, somebody cuts you off in traffic and you blankety-blank yell, scream, all these different insults at them that are are meant as an as a way to hurt somebody in a way that's unnecessary, in a way that's expressing anger. It's actually not um, a way of talking about them accurately, right? Uh, You think of Malcolm Muggeridge referring to Stalin as a thug. Um, That was a correct description of who Stalin was. Um, And this is a correct description of who Herod is. So Jesus says, go and tell that female weasel Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today, and tomorrow and the third day I finish my course. This is very interesting where he actually is saying, no, here's what's going to happen. Here's what I'm going to do. This is the way it's going to be. He gives the king his agenda, right? I have a boss. I don't go in and tell him how it's going to be. He's my boss, right? Um... Uh, and he's a very good boss, but I've had I've had other bosses who were much more fierce and scary, and much more like this Herod person, um, who I did not come in and say anything. But yes, sir. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. We have to remember Jesus is the King, right? The true King, right? Right. We're looking at like 1 Timothy two, where um, Paul says to God our Savior the Savior, the title Savior, the title Lord. These were titles given to Caesar. Caesar's favorite motto for himself was Caesar Augustus, Lord and Savior. And the early Christian community took these titles and gave them to Jesus and undercut that power altogether. In a sense, it's like that movie, um, the Tom Hanks movie, where he says, look at me, I am the captain now. And in a way, that is what Jesus is saying here. I am the captain now. He could be very, very killed for calling Herod anything. And he goes to call him that insulting name in front of his adversaries and his detractors. I guarantee you that name got back to Herod. Right? But Jesus says, that's not the way the kingdom works anymore. And people like him need to be stood up to. And that Jesus is the ultimate captain, the ultimate Lord, the ultimate Savior, the ultimate king, and nothing stands up against him. He sets the agenda and he tells us how it is. And is that something we need to take into our own lives? In the sense of bowing the knee to jesus before anything else right before any other structure of government a business of anything else any other power structure we bow that knee before jesus and we are subservient to that first we think of laws that are coming in place things like roe versus wade right now that's being overturned etc The thing is, I will be pro-life no matter what the laws are. The law doesn't dictate to me whether or not I'm pro-life, right? I'm not looking for my government to back up the gospel. That's going to happen sometimes, and I rejoice when it does. But most of the time, I'm actually going to figure that it's not going to. And that doesn't mean I'm going to go storm the castle or anything like that. But it is mean that I'm gonna be wary of trying to create heaven on earth, which I don't think is possible. Because these rulers can be these people, these foxes and others, right? And we try our best to steward the kingdom we have here in hopes that someday it will be complete, but it is not complete yet. And we live in the time between the times two Humana, cheers.